My name is Eric Abuao. If you're joining us for the first time, I fellowship here and also have the privilege of serving as one of the five pastors here. We are having a Sunday school session that's going to go on for a few weeks on the topic of personal productivity. But personal productivity, not from a worldly perspective, rather from a God-centered and a gospel-driven perspective. Last week when we started, we saw some of the challenges that make productivity today difficult. We have ambiguity. A lot of the jobs in the knowledge economy, you not only are required to do the job, you're actually required to know what the job is. And uh, there are managers who take, sadly take advantage of the employees. They wait until appraisal day and then they shift the goalposts. And the whole debate that's been going around about delay in confirming people in, uh, who have gone through, what's it called, probation, at times happens in the knowledge economy, either because knowingly or unknowingly, there was no leveling of expectations with regards to what would be considered productive. For the farmer, productivity is very clear. This is the farm, till it, uh, harrow it, plant, weed, ensure there is crop harvest. But in the knowledge economy, at times you're told, this is your job, now go and think about it and do it. And then we will assess you. So ambiguity is a challenge. We also did so that uh, information overload is a challenge. So the job is ambiguous, then you're being overwhelmed with too much information. You Google how to do this and you have a a million options on how to do it, and it's just paralyzing. You become a deer in headlights. We also did see that in the midst of, of that, there are other challenges. Just a feeling of, as a result, you don't know when to stop because you, you don't know if you've really done your job by the end of the day. So you keep carrying work home. You never stop working because you really didn't clearly articulate what the goal is. You didn't define what productivity is. And, and we tell you it's the Lord's day rest. And it's like we are speaking gibberish. You can't understand uh, because of some of those challenges that come from the productivity space. And uh, we also did see how, as a result, people struggle with a lack of fulfillment, a lack of meaning in life. Books on significance are breaking shelves, even in the secular space. And uh, we ultimately saw so the big problem in productivity is the problem of sin. And because it's a problem of sin, we must flee to God who gives us the principles for productivity and flee to God who gives us the gospel which deals with the problem of sin, which affects productivity. So that's where we got last week. There is much to discuss today. My intention is maybe I'll go on until uh, quarter two to 10, and then we can chime in and just all be involved in the conversation. We've started late and I have a ton of stuff to share. But around, at around quarter to, to 10, I'll pause so that I hear your perspectives. Let's open with prayer. Oh Lord, we would, uh, we would greatly deceive ourselves if we approach the topic of productivity without relying on you. Or have you not told us in John 15, 5, that without you, we can do nothing? And so, Lord, as we think about productivity, we turn to you and we please pray, order our steps, kindly grant that we would think your thoughts after you. We come with faith, the fact that your word is sufficient, both for faith and for life, for practice. And so, Lord, we pray, open our eyes that we may see wondrous things in your law, kindly grant that at the end of this time together, 
we will all with one heart, as one person, be singing, Oh, how we love you, Lord. It is our meditation all day long. In Jesus' name, Amen. The Christian knows that the gospel changes everything. It affects the way we go about all areas of our lives. It doesn't just affect us here at church. It affects us at the workplace, whatever type of workplace, whether you're an employee or the entrepreneur, whether you uh, are a whether you are in arts, it, the gospel affects culture, the, the gospel affects how we serve the poor, everything. And uh, we, we come into this subject of productivity asking and answering the question, why do we need to put God and the gospel at the center of our productivity? We began answering that question last week, and now we need to ask further. So what will happen now that we have said we need to put God at the center and we need to, to be motivated by the gospel when we think personal productivity? The next question is, what will happen when we do that? When we do that, a number of very helpful things will happen. God-centered and gospel-driven productivity a thing that is based on scriptures and yet without unwisely throwing away common grace wisdom that God has given out in the marketplace or being on the other extreme of being spiritually weird. You've had people who anoint their desks with oil. So that's not what we are going to be doing. So we are not going to be spiritually weird. But if by God's common grace there is wisdom in the market, we're also not going to be unwisely attritioning it. We will look at it through the greed of Scripture. And that's what gospel-driven uh, and God-centered productivity would call us to do. And when we approach the subject of productivity, our, our inclination is, talk to me about the process of doing more, doing it better, doing it faster. Process tends to be what we want. Tell me how to have this productivity app that I can have on my phone and my life changes. My New Year resolutions are just aced. That tends to be what we want. But before we talk about process, and I'm not even sure that the next four weeks I'll be able to get to the process, let's think about the principles that underpin that platform, that process. Before we think about the processes involved in doing more, we must think about the principles, the biblical principles, the gospel principles, the, the God-centered principles that influence productivity. Now, we need to uh, picking a cue from what Pastor Murungi uh, encouraged me to do last week. Ask ourselves, what does it mean to be productive? And I began answering that question last week. Let me reiterate it. To be productive means to get the right things done. Okay? If you're getting the wrong things done, you're not being productive. So productivity means getting the right things done. So then we ask ourselves, who determines what is right? And the answer is clearly God. The right things are those things that God wants done. So if you're doing the things that God wants done, then you're productive. To be productive is to get to do what God wants you to do. So then that begs the next question. What does God want you to do? Because we want to be productive and productivity entails doing what God wants to be done. The simple answer biblically is God wants you to do good works. And without wearing you down, Matthew 5, 16, 
Jesus sums up as our life's purpose. Let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Good works is spoken of there in Matthew 5, 16. How about Ephesians 2, 10? And maybe before we even get to 10, we read from verse 8, where we are told, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. And then in verse 10, we are told, for, you, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which, he, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And maybe last week we touched a bit on Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. There we are told that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And John 15 verse 16, the Lord tells us, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit that your fruit should abide. So good works are part and parcel of the purpose of our salvation. So there is a sense in which, as a Christian, you have been doubly created to do good works. Last week, we looked at the creation mandate, which calls you and me and each and every human being to do good works. One of the bases we presented last week for good works is the creation mandate. We were created to subdue the earth. And so when we are subduing the earth, we are doing what God wants done. And when we are doing what God wants done, then we are being, we are being productive, okay? As a Christian, you not only have the creation mandate as a call for you to do good works, but being created anew, recreated in Christ, is a basis for doing good works. So what does God want done? God wants you to do good works. And productivity is doing what you're required to do. When you do what you're required to do, you're being productive. Productive things then are things that are described by Scripture as doing good. Productivity, friends, always has to be related, has to be understood in relation to the goal. The goal is do good. That's what God is calling you to do. Therefore, when you do good, you're being productive. Productivity can, in other words, be described as being fruitful in good works. If you're being fruitful in good works, you're being productive. So that is a definition of productivity. And so we ask ourselves the next question, where do we do these good things? Where do we do these good works? If the Christian life is about doing good, where should it be done? We have to retreat to the monasteries and plant wheat there. Do we retreat from the rest of humanity? Do we live in a Christian bunker, an underground house, for us to do good work? Dear brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, there is an unbiblical separation 
that we must confront if we are going to embrace a God-centered and a gospel-driven approach to productivity. There is a polarization of the sacred and the secular, which we must confront. And at times, somewhat we, we embrace it unconsciously. We tend to have a very narrow view of what good works is. We think of good works as the rare, special things that we do once in a while. In fact, many of the secular approaches to productivity will tell you, work hard, earn a lot of money so that you can do good works. So in the secular approach to this whole subject, good works are those things you do with the result of your work. The work itself is a means to good works. A means in the sense that it is the salary you get that you use to do good works. But there is a divorce that happens between the work itself and it being considered good. So that we may think of good works as I will work hard, be able to earn money, so that I can go for a mission. And the mission in our mind is what good works starts with and ends with. And I'm not saying missions are bad. All I'm saying here is I'm using this high and beautiful work of missions to show us that we narrow our scope of thinking when it comes to productivity, good works, to a few occasional things that we do. Good works are considered as these unusual and out-of-the-way things we do. If you don't help an old person to cross the road as you go to work in that bank, you don't feel like you've done good work. For you, counting money is not good works. The result is we live a life that is somewhat disconnected. Our good works are in one category of our lives, but in the everyday humdrum kind of things in our life, commuting to work, raising our children, cooking a meal, living in your neighborhood, we feel there is no good work there. There is a striking disconnectedness that happens in many, many people. So that this view tends to put good works in your someday, maybe least in the future. We tend to reason like, I would like to do some good works when I get a chance on my off day next month. But dear brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, as we think from a biblical-centered perspective, a God-centered perspective, a gospel-driven perspective on productivity, you will realize that scripture would teach us that good works are not simply rare, special, extraordinary, or super spiritual things that we occasionally do. Rather, good works are anything we do in faith towards God. Anything we do in faith towards God is good works. You don't have to go to the extreme parts of this country for you to do good works. You don't have to do a rare or special thing for you to be considered to be doing good works. You just need to go all about what you're already doing and do them in faith, in accordance with God's will for the glory of God and for the good of others. Whatever you do, if your goal in it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, it is good works. Good works would be anything you do in faith. Good works would be defined by God's moral will. Does God command you to do this? The answer is yes. And God does not command us to only do the extraordinarily difficult things. Or does he? God commands us, for example, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So when you're thinking about a product that will serve your neighbor, you're doing a good work. That means, therefore, that any time we do work, any time you do work for your neighbor, in response, in a faith response to God's moral will, then you're doing a good work. Now, if you get that work done, you're being productive. So therefore, a good work is what God says is good. It is what is defined by his moral will. And it is anything we do in faith towards God. Let's look, for example, at 1 Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy 5, verse 10. Paul is here describing who qualifies to be a widow worthy of being supported by the church. And in verse 10, he says, such widows who qualify would have a reputation for good works. If she brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for all the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. If she has brought up children. You see, he says good works, and then you'd notice, and having a reputation for good works, you see the semicolon which presents us with the fact that what follows is a description of examples of what qualify to be good works. Paul is saying, widows who are eligible for support are those who have been doing good works. Good works is the primary condition presented here, do they have a reputation for good works? And then he illustrates the good works. And one of the things there would be diaper change. That is good works. So if you are doing that and you are getting that done, you are being productive. Okay? How about Ephesians chapter 6? Ephesians 6, 5 to 8. I'm just briefly making a case for where do we do good works. Ephesians 5, 6, 5 to 8. Ephesians 6, 5 to 8. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. As you would Christ, not by the way of eye service or people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. This is very interesting. And just a few chapters after Ephesians 2.10, where we've been told we are his workmanship created for good works. Surely Paul is, among other things, thinking about Ephesians 2.10, when he's saying slaves are to do good.
And as you look at it, he is telling the slaves explicitly that the work they do is good. And he says, that is the all-encompassing whatever that he uses there. He is saying, whatever you do. He's telling us, knowing that whatever, you, whatever good work anyone does, verse 8, this he will receive back from the Lord. So there is a double encompassing phrase there. Whatever good work you do and whoever you are, whether you are a slave or a master, you will receive a recompense from the Lord. So where do we do our good works? Everywhere. Whatever we do as unto the Lord for the good of fellow man is good work. So good works are not just spiritual things we do or hard and rare endeavors that we do and nothing wrong with that, okay? In fact, there is a lot to be thankful for when we think about difficult endeavors being done, spiritual things being done, but that's not the only uh, work that would qualify to be good within the parentheses, within the brackets of Scripture. So a new look then at Matthew 5.16 is demanded. When Matthew 5.16 tells us, let your good works so shine before men, Let your light so shine before men that they would see your good deeds. We need to realize the scope is so wide. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your clean desk at work and glorify God. Let your deeds so shine before men that they will see your PowerPoint presentations and glorify God. Let your deeds so shine before men that they will see your academic paper and glorify God. Let your deeds so shine before men in those words of, of 1 Timothy 5.10 that talks about good works as raising children, that they will see how you're raising your children and glorify God. Dear brothers and sisters, productivity from a God-centered and a gospel-driven perspective will radically transform us if we embrace it. We will see that the things you do every day are good works. Whether that is going to a meeting, whether that is responding to an email, de delivering uh, an email designing structures, putting stone on top of stone with mortar in between them, preparing financial reports, cooking ugali at home. It is good works. It will so radically transform us because the purpose we would have as we go into work is to glorify God by keeping the greatest commandment to love him above all else and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The purpose of our productivity tactics would not just be an empty desire to, to remove the guilt of, I had New Year resolutions which I haven't kept. No, it would be worship. You will want your effectiveness to be amplified in those good works because there is a motivation, a gospel-driven perspective, a God-centered perspective. And you will realize you don't have to quit your eight-to-five job because you think 
it is not a meaningful life. Whatever you are doing in that eight to five job, done as unto the Lord, is meaningful. You will not leave your day job looking for a dream job in a way that is similar to pursuing a mirage. So let your light so shine before others that they see what by God's grace you have produced in terms of sales targets and glorify God. Let your deeds so shine before men that as they look at how you run your department, they glorify God. Whatever little thing it could be, it could just the fact that you know all the employees in your department by name. And when you shake their hands, you do it firmly, looking at their face. It could just be that small. It could be that you know your neighbors. It is a good work to do that. The things that we are doing every day, when we do them as unto the Lord, would be part and parcel of personal productivity. So when you're answering emails, you're not just answering emails, you're doing good works. When you're attending meetings, you're not just attending meetings, you know, the way you drag your feet into ah, another meeting. You're doing good works. When you make supper at home, you're not just making supper for your family, you're doing good works. When you put your children to bed, dear mommy, you're not just putting children to bed, you're doing good works. So a God-centered perspective to productivity will put us in this place where we see everything we do in a new light. We see ourselves as agents for good, agents for right, wherever we are, for the glory of God. So the heart of productivity is that as we go about doing good works, you will realize that a gospel-driven perspective on this issue means you're not at the center of it. It is God and others. A gospel-driven perspective on productivity, dear brothers and sisters, if we properly embrace it, would so radically change us. We would be a paradox to the world. Your drive in working hard is because you want to serve others. It's because you want to keep the second greatest commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Productivity is not just about getting things done, because that's what the world puts out. As Christians, productivity is about being useful people, making a contribution, leaving this world better than we found it. It is about always being on the lookout to do good for others and knowing how to do good when that opportunity comes. We, as Christians, are to be known by our love. And not just love in the abstract, feely-feely stuff, but love in the practical day-to-day aspects of our life. And one of the ways we show love, one of the ways we demonstrate this central tenet of the Christian life of loving our neighbor is by being productive, is by doing all we do for the benefit of all who are around us, so that God is glorified. 
Many times Christianity has been put forth in this narrow scope of the avoidance ethic. Christianity is about avoiding to do what is wrong. And that is half the story. In fact, it is a very, very small aspect of the story. We have been redeemed from lawlessness. We've been redeemed from stopping to do lawlessness so that we are zealous for good works, so that we are productive, so that we go about doing what God wants to get done. So a new reason why we need to get things done. Since productivity, doing what God wants to be done, getting things that need to be done, done is about making a difference in people's lives, then when we approach work, we do it in a new light. We are not just moving papers from in-tray to out-tray. We are serving others. That's what we are doing. We are serving others for the glory of God. I had said I would pause at this point. I still have a lot to, to say, but let me keep my word and open it up for comments. And I know there are questions that would be going through our minds if hopefully we are engaged. You've read books like The Nice Girl Will Not Occupy the Corner Office. You've seen such titles. You've got to be mean and, you know, just step on people if you're going to ascend up the corporate ladder. Am I platforming you for the next retrenchment that may come at your workplace? Is that what I'm doing here? Any, any comments, any questions? The microphone, if I could be helped. If there's none, I'll go on. Yes, yes, Arnold has. Uh, thanks so much, Pansi, for the study. And um, I had a question. Um, I've been helped to understand more clearly from what you've mentioned that whatever we do as unto the Lord and to the benefit of man qualifies as good works. Um, and so my question was, are there degrees of good works in terms of um, maybe the ones that the reward is more on, on how God rewards such good work. And if, if that is true, then is it biblical to conclude that work's done for maybe remuneration, like if you are employed and such, um, are less glorious than those done without remuneration? Mm. Will it be difficult to conclude? That, that's a good question. He who lends to the poor lends to the Lord. That kind of perspective. You've asked a number of questions. Two or three come to mind. Are there, is there a prioritization in terms of higher good works and lower? And uh, I think one can make a biblical case for saying yes. There are works of straw and, and stubble and there are works of gold that will stand at the judgment. And we are going, as we go along, we will realize that part of the gospel-driven perspective to good works is we do good works because we don't have to do good works. And we will get to that. We don't need to do good works. We have already been justified. Our sins are forgiven and the righteousness of Christ has been imputed on us. And God looks at us as those who are justified. And so we love because we are responding to love we've already received. And during the 
the, the Miti Forum, we talked about communion with God being that aspect of receiving and responding in appropriate ways. So there are, there are yes, uh, levels of good works that would be presented as higher. The Lord says, hey, if you only do good to those who do you good, what does, how, do, how does that make you different? How does that benefit you? Be like God, who sends his sunshine and his rain even to his enemies. And so the answer would be yes. There would be a prioritization. There would be an order. There is an ordering of our affections that needs to be done. And, uh, and I think as we go on, perhaps in the coming weeks, to deal with the challenge of ambiguity in clarifying what do I need to focus on right now? Because as we saw last week, part of the problem with productivity today is ambiguity. You are told you've been hired, find out what the job is and do the job. And like a farmer or the, the industrial economy where the work was clear, now you have to define what the work is. I hope to answer more of that as we, as we go along. Do I try and go on along? So what I'm saying is, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, we are most effective, we are most productive, when we seek to do good for others before ourselves, it is biblical and it makes business sense. To be productive is to be abundant in doing good, as we've already said. And as we do the good, we are seeking to serve others wherever we are. How do we do good? Does it happen automatically? Most things in life will boil down to very few fundamentals that they fulcrum on. And productivity as an aspect of life hugely fulcrums on an attitude or the grace of generosity. If you strive to be generous, by God's grace, if you strive to be generous, you will be productive. If you're selfish and all wrapped up in yourself, making such a small package, you will not be productive. The guiding principle of a productivity that is gospel-driven is that you put the other person first and you constantly are on the lookout for how to put the other person first. Be generous. It is surprising. It is counterintuitive, but it is biblical. Success in life. Success in business does not come from crushing the weak. It does not come from doing as little as you can get away with. It does not come from trying to get this every cent, every shilling from those around you. It comes from the very opposite. Helping the weak, going the extra mile, putting others first. It comes from loving others. Loving your neighbor as yourself is where productivity comes from. And where we are failing in productivity, most of the time, at its root, the issue is there. Productivity, dear brothers and sisters, is an outcrop of the fruit of the Spirit. That fruit called kindness or has said, as Victor would keep reminding us, that fruit will make you either productive or not. So when you approach your neighbor, 
you approach them with a good will. You look at them with a good will. You don't approach them as an enemy. I have said it here before and I will repeat it and I'm sorry if I'm sounding like a scratched CD. If in the secret recesses of your heart you consider your neighbor to be a nobody, you will not be excellent in their presence for the long run. You may pretend for a few days, but if in your heart you think the other person is a nobody, you will not be excellent for the long run. You will not embrace excellence towards them. In their presence, you don't need to work hard after all. In your heart of hearts, you have put them in this pigeon hole where when you look at them, you don't see the imago dei on them, the image of God on them. Put the other person first. And be eager to meet his or her needs. Not begrudgingly and not reluctantly, but joyfully. That's the Christian attitude in doing good. We are eager, we are enthusiastic, we are joyful. And therefore we are creative. I'm constantly thinking about how can I really attack this problem that you have in the most useful and in the most uh, efficient way. And you get a kick out of the fact that you are honoring God as you are serving your neighbor. Doing good, productivity in the Christian perspective is not reluctant. We don't do it grudgingly, murmuringly, indifferently, with bored hearts that sort of say, I would rather be watching uh, some local soap opera than be serving you. Christian productivity puts us at a place where we don't even wait for a neighbor to ask. We are proactive. That's how we love ourselves. We are proactive in how we love ourselves. We are not just reactive in doing good. I get in through that door and my antennas are up. Who needs help? What needs to be done? I get to work and that's the same attitude I have. Who needs help? What needs to be done? Your phone rings, and the way you pick it, it's not Sema. That's not your attitude. As you're picking the phone call at work, you're eager. You identify yourself and the company, and you say, how may I be an assistance to you? Not just because you're getting a pay. The highest kick you get out of it is not your wallet being full. It's the fact that you're honoring God. You walk into work and people would confuse you for being the CEO because people at the waiting desk, you're asking, umesaidiwa, na umesaidiwa. And you know when you ask that at times to Kenyans, they think, oops, here comes another one who wants to be bribed to help me to, to jump the queue. You'd be very strange because people don't do that. Charles Spurgeon says, Let us be on the watch for opportunities of usefulness. Let us go about the world with our ears and our eyes open, ready to avail ourselves of every occasion for doing good. Let us not be content till we are useful, but make this the main design and ambition of our lives. Jonathan Edwards, on the same subject, says a charitable person whose heart disposes him to bounty and liberality will be quick-sighted to discern the needs of others. Gospel-centered, God-centered and gospel-driven productivity puts you at a place where you are quick-sighted to discern the needs of others. Conversely, if we are not ready to see other people's needs, ours is not just a technical failure in the Christian life. Ours is actually selfishness 
And Edwards again captures this very well. Jonathan Edwards says, a selfish man is not apt to discern the wants of others, but rather to overlook them and can hardly be persuaded to see or feel them. But a man of charitable spirit is apt to see the afflictions of others and to take notice of their aggravation and to be filled with concern for them as he would be for himself if under difficulties. And he is ready also to help them and take delight in supplying their necessities and relieving their difficulties. If we are going to be productive from a God-centered, gospel-driven perspective, we will avoid this self-protective mindset that is so afraid we are just hugging the tree trunk. There's no fruitfulness there. The fruit is on the limb. Climb the tree, go on the limb, take some risk. That's where the fruit is. Hugging the tree trunk will not give you any fruits. You do good to others, even at personal risk. We will attrition the self-protective mindset that we excessively take on, and we will take pains to do good to others. We will be creative, and we will strive for competence in doing good. We will not be lazy. We will not be shoddy in our work. This, dear brothers and sisters, is the radical nature of productivity from a God-centered, gospel-driven perspective. This is the radical nature of the Christian ethic. We often reduce the Christian ethic to simply work hard and be honest. But it is more than that. It is more than that. There is a sense of adventure in the Christian ethic. Things like creativity, attentiveness, engagement. I remember in days training in HR, one of the things we would scratch our heads over is how do we in improve engagement at work? Because engagement is a thing that is internal in the employee. What do you do to ensure the employees are engaged? Doing good is not just for self. We do it for the glory of God. We do it with those words of Micah 6, 8, which Pastor Murungi has recently taken us through. We are doing good. We are seeking justice. We are helping the needy. But as we do that, it is because we are walking humbly with our God. God is at the center of it. He is the foundation. He is the basis upon which we do it. Good works without this motive of love for God and the glory of God will just at best be temporary good, which is commendable, but which will have no ultimate spiritual good or eternal value because we have missed the most important point, God. So does this really apply to work? This thing of generosity and kindness that I am trying to persuade you to do in order to be productive, will it apply in the work world? The answer is yes, because God says so. And that is enough. But common grace also does demonstrate that this wisdom works. Why would Safaricom have a playpen for children so that mothers can go to work with their children? What's wrong with them? That doesn't seem to make sense, or does it? So that nursing mothers will have the whole day with their children at work. And books after books have been written. Jim Collins has written so many books, whether it's great to go, great, uh, good to great, built to last, uh, uh, how the mighty fall. 
that show people in ways that surprise him because it's scientific research and they just say, these enduring companies have something very strange with them. Starting with the leader, the leader is a weird chap. You'd pass them for a nobody if you got into the organization. And that's the story Jim Collins has been putting out for decades. They go give a movement in the business world by Joe Bag is teaching people that money is a certificate of appreciation that you receive for giving value. And they tell you, please think in terms of lightning and thunder. And they will teach you that money is the thunder of lightning's value addition to the customer. This is common grace wisdom out there. Lisa McLeod in Selling with a Noble Purpose and others like Todd Duncan in customer-focused selling, or people like um, who wrote The Millionaire Next Door, who was also very surprised because they would look for millionaires and as they would do these researches, they would be so amazed. The millionaires are the ordinary people who sell very ordinary things and you may pass them for nobody in the streets. Common grace, wisdom, does show us that God upholds these principles even amongst others. So these things I'm telling you are not just to be done here while excluding the world of work. They are to be done here too. Whether it's tools like Growing in your trust quotient, hopefully you're being helped also in that, and some of you need to grow in it. How do you improve your trust quotient? And the world has its formulas. Be credible, be reliable, be intimate, and make yourself interest the last thing. It's what you'll be taught if you want to grow your trust quotient. And this is basically stuff that should be more amplified and more supported here because we know where it's coming from. It's the second greatest commandment which calls us to be generous, to be kind towards our neighbor. I have to stop. It's five minutes past 10. I wish I could go on next week. The Lord allowing us, we will look at the next thing on gospel-driven productivity, which means we will look at justification as a basis for good works. And we'll also look at where peace of mind comes from, Philippians chapter 4. It doesn't come from achieving goals. It comes from making our requests known to God. And he gives this thing that people strive for as they download productivity app after productivity app, the peace of God which passes human understanding. Yes, yes, I did. There's a question online about mm -hmm. Junior. He, he says, thanks, uh, thanks very much for the lesson today. I know there are people who do good works without faith. Is there a way, to know, a way in which we are able to know the genuine works from a true faith and works that are not from faith? Okay. Is there a way? Thank you for the question, yes and no. Sometimes it will not be possible. The way a Christian surgeon approach surgery might not be different from the way an unchristian surgeon will approach the surgery. There may be differences, mild ones, like, I mean, in terms of the behavior during the surgery, like the Christian surgeon may pray before the surgery begins. They may endure more because they are so passionate about the sixth commandment that values life. But the, 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 the standard operating procedure, the checklist for the hospital might be the same. But God does know that this is good works, this is filthy rags. And the difference is ultimately what a person has done with the Lord Jesus Christ. Without faith, you cannot please God. It is impossible to please God. It is impossible to do good works without faith. Scripture doesn't say it is 
difficult or rare to please God without faith. It is impossible. To attempt the difficult, to attempt the rare feat would be laudable. To attempt the impossible, as we've said previously, is lunacy. So turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Outside Christ, you cannot do good works. There's also the reality of faithfulness. So if you have five talents, you have two talents, I have one, and God has given us these talents according to our abilities, there is a sense in which faithfulness would be required of all of us, but it would be seen differently. If we are all truly faithful, you will have 10, the other person will have six, and I will have two more talents at the return of the Lord. That would be top of my mind. I don't know if there would be any other responses to that, but thank you for the question. And so I would request the questioner to come back next week because next week as we look at justification and as we look at prayer and character as a basis, a gospel-driven basis for productivity, some of these things will come out a little bit more clearly. Yes, D5. Um, thanks, Pasi, for um, the lesson. I think one of the things I appreciate um, even from where you started is that um, if we see good works as, you know, if, if we are to step away from how we limit what qualifies for good works, I think that's the very reason most times where um, as Christians we struggle with productivity because sometimes we are even asking, is it even worth my time to be doing, you know, uh, what I'm doing? I, I, I just want to go. I'm waiting for the time I can go and do this, these other things out there. But if we see, uh, if we see our usefulness as part of the good works that we are blessing people and we are using, um, you know, the skills that God has given us um, as worship, because work is worship um, towards God. And then that helps us even in those moments where maybe it may be a while before we are able to do these other, you know, seemingly larger good works. But in the meantime, we're still glorifying God. And that's, you know, think, thinking of a slave who, where, who the Bible tells that, you know, work as unto the Lord. And part of maybe the work that a slave is being told is go and clean shoes of my guests or, you know, wash the baby's um, undergarments and whatnot. And yet God commands that that happens. That's happening. And yes. it's good yeah. works. Yes. So I think when we look at it that way, then as Christians, we get the, the impetus to um, do good, even in those things that don't seem like they're adding to the kingdom agenda. Yes. In any way. Yes. yes. And there could be a question also that could be coming and people are not asking it. So in the business world, is it wrong for me to be concerned with profit? Is it wrong for me as a head of household to think about profit as I serve you? Uh, am I saying that's wrong? Should I just be giving freebies to everyone and going back home and telling Jedida we couldn't pay rent because I did good works. I didn't charge for the services. Is that what I'm saying? No. No, not at all. I'm not saying not profit. What I am saying is more than profit, okay? I am saying think beyond profit. Do business sustainably, but be motivated by something that is more than profit. And yes, there are times in our lives where we will do many things where we will never be repaid on earth. And Luke 14 will tell us of such things, Luke 14, 12 to 14, it is a true work, but there would be no earthly return. The chief thing that makes business business is that in business being business, we seek the good of others and we seek it in a way that is profitable. That's what 
makes business business. You're seeking the good of others, but you're doing it in a way that is profitable. And in entrepreneurship quotient tests, one of the things that they'll try and check out is if you have another reason beyond just profit for why you want to start the business. And if your goal is not to solve a problem, if your goal is not you're passionate about this product and making it more usable and accessible to others in a way that most efficiently solves problems, most entrepreneurship quotient tests will really deduct a lot of marks from you. Finally, I would say this. We've seen the motivation, the positive motivation for good works. Negatively, we need to see that being slack and being lazy and unproductive is tantamount to vandalism. The Christian is to be generous in service, but shoddy work is not simply shoddy work. Shoddy work is a failure to love. It is a failure to love. The Bible teaches us that slack work is a form of vandalism, and Proverbs 18 verse 9 would tell us that the person who is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. So if you're not being productive, you're not just a fence sitter. You are destroying. You are a vandal, and you need to repent of that. Let us pray. Thank you, O oh Lord, for this time that we have had together to think this topic from a perspective that is centered on you, motivated, driven by the gospel. Where, Lord, I have uttered chaff, please blow upon it. Please don't allow it to settle in the minds of your children. But where the true seed of your word has proceeded forth, Kindly grant that it will not return to you void, but that it will achieve that for which you have sent it. We please pray that we would see once more that without the Lord Jesus Christ we can do nothing. Help us to flee to Christ continuously, not just once in that fast and solemn act of becoming covenanted members of the body of Christ at our salvation, but continuously as those who must be branches that abide in the vine if they will bear fruit. We please pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've joined us online at 11 a.m. We will be having our morning service. You're welcome again. And at 3 p.m. also. You can come in person, but also join online if you are very far. Thank you.